Welcome to the Low Rates High Returns podcast where we'll uncover the timeless investment principles so you can escape the rat race, earn passive income and create lasting wealth. I'm Pete Wargent, investor and financial coach and I'm joined by Stephen Moriarty, private investor and the co-author of our new book, Low Rates High Returns. In each episode of this podcast, we talk about the crucial concepts around managing your own money, how to invest, when to invest and the key lessons we've learned along the way about generating passive income. The things we discuss in this episode shouldn't be taken as financial advice, and we recommend you reach out to a licensed professional advisor who can help you with your unique circumstances. Enjoy the show. G'day, welcome to the Low Rates High Returns podcast with me, Pete Wargent. I'm here with Stephen Moriarty. G'day, Steve. How are you, mate? I'm really good. So it's the final episode in our mini series on the top 10 investment books of all time. Very snugly included our own book, which uh, <laughs> was a, <laughs> an excellent selection. But uh, pleased to say we've got uh, a couple of different picks for you today. And in fact, the final two picks in our 10 books mini series. So Steve, let's kick off with your choice. So we've done quite a little bit of stuff on uh, Warren Buffett. Uncle Warren over recent months. Uh, so tell us a bit about your pick and why you chose it. Okay. Uh, the drum roll, please. I've selected the new Buffettology, uh, which is written in 2002 by Mary Buffett, who was Warren's daughter-in-law for uh, only a period of time, uh, and a guy called David Clark. This pair has written quite a few books on uh, Buffett, there's the Dow, Warren Buffett, uh, Warren Buffett and the Art of Arbitrage, the Buffettology Workbook. You know, they've, they've really, you know, the famous sayings and, you know, Warren's 30 favourite recipes or something. They're good books and I'll explain why, but you get a bit of the idea they're cashing in on the name a little bit. I did know? always wonder this. Like I, I actually always had this thought, like, how much of an insight do you get into yeah. an investor by being a daughter-in-law and how much of it is actually – cashing in on the name. I, I remember the uh, the golf magazines years ago used to um, get uh, stuck into Jill Faldo after she got divorced from Nick Faldo and she kept the name and, you know, the, a lot of the uh, – there was a lot of snide comments about cashing in on the name for years after they were separated and so on. But is there any special insight that somebody gets by being a daughter-in-law? Look, it's, it's hard to say, Pete. The reason why I selected this book, what I've been trying to do with my, my five – choices is to say let's go from the macro and as you remember we started um, with Robert Schiller and Irrational Exuberance and I've tried to bring it down to the micro which is this book saying this is how Warren Buffett thinks when he buys a company. So it's a really really good book to understand how Buffett thinks and the thing that I think is really good Pete is that it gives you a lot of equations and a lot of things to work out, like the internal rate of return and the return on equity, and I'll go through some later. And so it's a good methodology book. So it's not like you read a book on Buffett and go, oh, yeah, Warren likes competitive advantage and, you know, here's how he bought, you know, the salad oil scandal and all those ones. This one is really good because they do mix, you know, here's the companies Warren bought but they also give you the equations, as I said, I'll chat in a little bit about, which I think is really, really useful because what it does is it gives you, you can actually, and I did this when I read it years ago, was 
you set them all out on a page and said, "Righto, if I'm going to buy, you know, Woolworths, for example, I'm going to go and get the last 10 years of earnings per share. I'm going to go and get the last 10 years of, you know, the internal rate of return. So from that point of view, it's a really good book. I, I suppose you sort of think, well, she must have garnished something, you know, from Warren around the dinner table. Like, But the other thing is, so it's funny, you know, because I think Buffett is so cagey that he probably doesn't even tell his own family what, you know, what's really going on in Uncle Warren's mind. Now, what about if you're not um, a mathem- mathematically minded person and if the sign of equations puts you off a little bit, should that um, preclude you from being a value style investor or can you actually strip it back to some relatively simpler indicators? Because I have a strong suspicion that a lot of people actually don't have the time and inclination, for example, as you said, to to lay out five years of earnings per share or to yeah. look at the growth in revenue over five years. And I suppose there is a, you know, there's always that sort of nagging feeling for stock pickers that even though the past five years might show a nice smooth upwards trend that something might change in the industry or sector that that changes the trend going forward so what do you think for somebody who's not really a mathematical person would it stop them from enjoying this book and putting the applications to good use no not at all the reason why pete is because some of the most of the stuff that you would have to input is just pretty simple numbers you know and Again, they also take you through when they say, you know, when you want to work out the return on equity, right? They say, okay, go and get your, you know, HP 24 calculator. And so they basically take you through step by step of how to do it. Um, interestingly enough, Peter, it'd be a really great book for YouTube, you know, to actually show people in a video how to do the returns. Um, but so from that point of view, you don't need a lot of mathematics. I think it's probably one, though, for what I'd call is the diehard Buffets. And, you know, in our book, we've got eight pretty simple principles and we don't use a lot, we don't go into a lot of detail on a lot of the, you know, what are the labour relations, what's inflation, uh, what's the debt, what's the, how do you work out the internal rate of return, equity returns on retained earnings, you know, all of that sort of stuff. So it's one for the really, the really sort of diehard Buffett people. But I will say this, you know, you've got to remember Warren Buffett said he was a business analyst, right? And so what you're doing is it's as if you're, as Warren says, you're buying a piece of a company, right? And it it gets back to his point that, you know, the stuff about, oh, we don't care if the stock market closes because he's he's not buying stocks. He's buying the piece of a business. If, for example, you said, oh, I want to buy, you know, a coffee shop. Okay, well, I'm going to go back and look at the earnings per share or, you know, how many cups of coffee it sells and what's the debt level and stuff. The idea being, as you well know, Buffett talks a lot about competitive advantages. And what he's doing is saying, these are the equations that give me a sort of base case, right? And as you know, from the book, it says, what Warren does is waits for an overall recession or an industry recession and then says, righto, I know, you know, Visa can earn $1.50 per share over the long term and it's currently at $1.20 per share. Now, that means it'll probably earn some more. Things will pick up. 
I can throw in a bit for inflation, you know, I can flow in a bit for the moat, okay, and I can – Andy works out the price and says, righto, I should buy it at 37 bucks a share. It's currently at, you know, 36.50, right, then I'll buy some. And that's, that's the way he does it. He works out the value of the business, then he waits to buy it. And that's the, that's the I think, a lot of difference that people don't do and the thing about Buffett is that, or about this book is, it really gives you a really good methodology to say this is how Warren Buffett would basically buy a share. Yeah, I mean, you've touched on the, I guess, the really key point there. Uh, the book I've chosen today is uh, The Intelligence Investor by Ben Graham. And straight away, you can see the parallels because, as you said there, what Buffett is really doing is not trying to buy a stock ticker or a symbol, you know, looking at a chart of recent price movements, all the things that people do in a bull market, they're really just trying to buy something that goes up the most over the next week or two. And um, you can see that in the, the trends in um, the turnover of stocks, you know, people hold them for shorter and shorter periods. Uh, whereas what Buffett is doing, and particularly what Buffett, uh, Buffettology, the book shows you how to do is imagine that you were actually buying the whole business. How would you look at it? Well, you'd look at the leverage, um, the gearing ratio. You know, has the company got too much debt? Uh, because that gives you the survivorship point. You would look at, you know, what is the, what is the company's advantage or or moat? Has it got a wide moat or a deep moat? You would look at the prospects for the industry and all of those things. That's what you would do if you were buying a business. Um, I think increasingly, and particularly in bull markets, people are really thinking about just buying stock tickers and symbols. Uh, and that's probably a, it's a really strong parallel uh, with what Ben Graham obviously taught all those decades before. And I think, um, yeah, even if all this uh, Buffettology book does, for a lot of people just brings you back to that point of think about, imagine you're buying the whole business and then think about how much you'd be prepared to pay for that rather than looking at charts of uh, share prices. Because I think a lot of people these days, well, we know that it's the case because uh, stock turnover is just so high now. It's interesting because I'm quite critical of a lot of people who talk about, oh, yeah, I'm a Buffett investor, and then, you know, then they're turning their portfolio over every two years <laughs> or something. Yeah. It's a bit like, mate, I think Warren holds for a bit longer than that. Um, yeah, mentioning no names. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, um, you know, there are a couple of really good chapters. One is Chapter 13, which gives you Warren's 10-point checklist, right? And it talks about return on equity and capital, debt, you know, labour, and that that sort of stuff focuses in a little bit about the competitive advantage. Um, you know, can it can it defy inflation and raise its price? Um, if it can, that's the sign of a really great business, right? Then it goes into further on, it goes into the financial calculations and it talks about, you know, earnings predictions, internal rate of return, uh, determining per share growth rate, stock value relative to bonds, and that's really important because remember Buffett says, or what she says about Buffett is that he's really looking at everything versus a bond. And the reason why is because bonds are risk-free. And so if you can get 5% risk-free, well, you'd be a bit of an idiot if you, don't, if you went for 5.5 and there's a large amount of risk. So what Buffett's doing is working out how he can compound his money 
in a sense, you know, like a Kelly investor. And so that's where he takes industry recessions and broader economic downturns as the opportunity because like a like a Kelly thinker or a Kelly better, what he does is he says, the odds are really in my favour now because I know Apple, for example, is worth, you know, 200 bucks a share and I can buy it at, you know, 110. And it's that that sort of thing that Buffett is really good at. He's really good at getting the long-term value out of something. You know, like you tend to look at a, a stock at a dollar and go, wow, it's, it's, it's 80 cents. Wow, you know, I'll make 20% if it goes back through a dollar. What Buffett is doing is saying, if I hold this company for 30 years, it will be worth $25.50. Oh, I'm getting it for 80 cents. Okay, that's a really good buy. And that's what the equations in the book do for you. You know, you, you make really sensible projections, but based on fairly conservative elements rather than you know, at the moment, like the unicorns, where it's like, oh, yeah, it's going to grow 50% a year for 20 years. And it's like, well, hang on, if it does that, it'll be, you know, it'll be worth $2 trillion. That's the real benefit of this book. Even if, as I said, you, you're not a mad Buffett person, it really gives you lots of stuff where you go, well, geez, it's always handy to be able to work out the forecast earnings per share on those sorts of things. So it's it's really good on for that sort of reason. Yeah, and I think oh, well, the the Apple example is is fantastic actually because I think um, you know, for, for a lot of people they would be surprised that uh, Buffett took such a large position in what is fundamentally a tech style company. But um, you know, if you listen to Buffett in the interviews, he said, "Well, look, this is a fantastic company. Look at all the products. You know, empty your pockets. Look at all the products that Apple is providing that are just becoming a part of our daily infrastructure." And then he can look at the financials and there's there's years of data there. He can look at uh, earnings per share, earnings yield. You know, he can he can project this stuff out for the long term and then make an assessment. And then uh, once again, not for the first time, place, placing a huge chunk of the portfolio in one stock, which is something that not many uh, people have the confidence to do. But through understanding uh, those, uh, those basic equations and understanding the, the value of the total business, um, well, you can have a hundred billion dollars invested, and as we uh, talked about yesterday, just imagine the size of those dividend checks that are landing. Yeah. <laughs> now it's, uh, it's it's pretty spectacular when when you look at what's uh, what's being paid back over time. So uh, that's a, that's actually a very good example of um, understanding the total value of the business over the long term, and then understanding that having a very large investment uh, could pay huge dividends over time, literally. Yeah, yeah. The, uh, here's the thing, Pete, that is, really stands out. You always hear these people talk about, oh, you know, if you'd have bought Apple in 1986 when it was a, you know, when Steve Jobs was in a garage and all that sort of bullshit that they go on with, you'd have made, you know, eight zillion percent. If you'd have followed Warren Buffett into Apple, you'd made, you'd have done, you know, you'd have absolutely killed it. And so my point being, Buffett's only held Apple for less than ten years. And he's already getting dividend checks of like $900 million, right? <laughs> so you know what I mean? Like that's it's what I say to people about it's the way you compound your money. It's not simply saying, oh, you get in early at 10 cents and hope like hell it goes to 40 bucks. You know, those sort of things are really, really rare. 
And even Charlie Munger says, you know, if you look at Berkshire's portfolio, basically we've got six or seven stocks that have made an absolute killing, right? And it's been because they've bought them, not necessarily when they've IPO'd, but that's the that's why Buffett bought Apple after, you know, 30 years of operation. Because what I think he saw was Apple being an infrastructure stock for the future with, you know, services and all that sort of stuff. And so I think Apple is like a highway, right? A really a really popular highway with a toll road on it. And what these equations do is get you inside Buffett's head to an extent to sort of say, oh, okay, so that's how Warren Buffett thinks. And it's it's just, I can tell you, it's a really, really useful exercise because it gives you a model about how to select stocks. And what it does too is it 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 gives you a fairly conservative price estimate of a of a company. So, you know, you can sort of use the P ratio as a shorthand, but if you want to go deeper and deeper, then what Buffett is great at doing is saying the, you know, and we talk about this with Kelly, the public price is ten dollars, but I know in 10 years it's probably going to be worth 85 or, you know, 18 or something. That's what people don't see. And that's what Buffett can say. It doesn't look that cheap now, but by God, if this company goes like I think it's going to go, it's going to be a it's going to be a really, really great company. And that's what happens. Yeah, that's the power of this book, isn't it? It's, it yeah. it's helping you to understand. You know, you, you look back at a company like Apple and, you know, it looks kind of obvious in hindsight, hindsight. but it probably wasn't obvious at the time. Yes, and that that is really, you know, it's really just a shortcut for people wanting to understand, well, how, how does Buffett understand the long-term value of a business? And this is how, by, by understanding yes. uh, some, in many ways, simple filters and simple equations. And if you can buy... Um, a company that's going to be worth 10x uh, down the track well it makes perfect sense to place a big bet now um i suppose this this could lead on to a whole other conversation about why markets don't price all of that in today but then uh, let's let's park that conversation for another yeah. day i think this is probably a good segue into my selection then which is the, the intelligence investor by ben gray and partly because um, maybe we should have done these books in a different order today because it, yeah, yeah. it helps you to understand in many ways the genesis of Warren Buffett's ideas. So uh, for those of you not familiar, Ben Graham was to some degree uh, Buffett's mentor. To some decades earlier, it had a pretty tough upbringing originally uh, from Europe. Uh, in fact, with a different surname, grew up as Grossbaum, but eventually ended up on Wall Street. And interesting backstory because Ben Graham suffered uh, some pretty harrowing losses through 1929 yeah, to 32, yeah. but um, the Graham Newman Corporation returned one well, ne- nearly 15% per annum uh, for a very long period of time. Now, you'll start to see there's a number of parallels here with the way in which Buffett thinks. He looks at uh, the present value of future cash flows. He understands how the pendulum always swings between over-optimism back to pessimism. And a particularly uh, key concept is the idea of the margin of safety. So if you understand the business uh, to be worth X, then you really want to be buying the company for Y, i.e. with a decent margin of safety. A lot of those ideas which informed the way in which Buffett invests, although as we'll come on to, Steve, uh, Buffett obviously took those ideas and, and brought them into the modern era by 
understanding that you don't just look at the the bottom end of town in terms of stocks you actually look for stuff with great future potential as well but i think so many common themes through the books Steve. yeah i think um he was the cigar butt investor and that's what ben graham was but he also morphed too because in the sense he made he made an absolute bloody mozza and he he obviously wasn't going to be as rich as he is now by buying companies that had a price to book below one right it was just it just wasn't going to happen but it was a, and i was saying to this to one of our clients the other day it's a really good way to start off to make your first million dollars is buying cheap and flipping them right but after a while you know when you get more and more money you don't really need to do a lot of that you can then say well i'll you know i'll plonk it into the four banks and i'll take a 6% dividend yield and you know so you your investing philosophy morphs depending on how much money you've got. The thing I liked about the intelligent investor was Graham talks in several of the chapters about the defensive investor, the enterprising investor. And so he, he sort of says, look, here's, what, here's a model for the people who, you know, have got a little bit more backbone. Here's the model for people who are, you know, conservative. And I think that's a really important thing because what it and and we sort of talk about it with the principles and what we often say is look we're not we don't say this is the only way you've got to invest money we're simply saying here's one way you can make money in the market if you want to go and be like jim simons and trade every 10 minutes well all power to you this is one of the way we use and i think that's what the intelligent investor was really good at was basically giving you a whole range of ways to do it. But as you say, that that anchor was the margin of safety. Yes, and in particular, looking at the total value of the business. Now, as, as you said, Graham was largely interested in um, things like cigar, but investing, just getting that one last puff out of a company, looking at the, the tangible assets and you know, making sure you're paying less uh, than the book value of the business and so on. Now, you know, that those things may well not apply. And in fact, in some respects, parts of the book have dated. Now, the version I've got here in front of me is a revised edition with a commentary uh, by Jason Zweig, who you can probably follow on social media these days, mm. which is actually particularly um, for people coming to this book for the first time, might be a good way to go because it brings some of those ideas up to date and translates them into a way that might be a bit more relevant for readers today. I think, as you mentioned, um, one of the interesting things there is that not everybody has the same situation. So uh, Buffett updated his approach over time, partly through necessity because the environment changed, but also because he was managing larger and larger sums of money. Yeah. Uh, so you know, these days, you know, you know, tens of billions of dollars can go into Apple. Well, if that's the amount of money you're investing, you your pool of potential companies is somewhat limited and but it's actually the same <laughs> yeah but it, it's actually the same for individuals too you know i think back to when i was in my 20s and you know you can take a punt on some mining stocks and so on because you know your downside um your personal circumstances you've got far fewer responsibilities but actually just much less money when you're younger but obviously as your net worth increases your tolerance for taking those types of risks actually decreases or certainly it does for me uh, some people they find that they still like to have some speculative bets and that's fine 
Um, but it's um, this is where uh, Ben Graham, as you said, he covers different approaches for people of uh, defensive mentality, people who want to be a bit more enterprising, as he puts it, and also um, some sections there for the lay investor who don't really have much of a financial understanding. And what he tries to encourage people to do all the way through the book is think about the business and not just buying a symbol or a stock market graph or chart. Uh, so, I mean, obviously there, the uh, the themes and the uh, flow through to, to Warren Buffett in, in the modern era. And I think uh, there's so many parallels today in terms of uh, some of the periods that he talks about. He talks about 100 years of stock market history. And there's all the time there's this swing, the pendulum between over-optimism and pessimism. And uh, the, the periods of over-optimism, people start talking about a new world order and uh, they extrapolate the recent past into the future, which is how we end up with books like Dow 36,000 and Dow 40,000. Uh, but as Graham shows, that if you actually read enough stock market history, you'll see that that pendulum is always swinging and it's never different this time around. Yeah, well, it's, it's a funny because it takes us all the way back or it leads us back full circle to Robert Schiller's irrational exuberance, which is exactly the same. And funnily enough, Pete, when you when you think about it, it's different, it's different in a couple of ways. One is it's different from Buffett because what Buffett says is, yeah, I know there's over-optimism and over-pessimism, but I'm going to look at the fundamental value of it, of a company, whereas a lot of people sort of look at the they look at the fundamental value but then they they bail out very quickly if things go start going south the other thing i found interesting about ben graham there's two points one was he wrote this book after he wrote security analysis so security analysis if i remember correctly was about 850 pages and I can tell you, when I was when I first started investing, I read it. Oh God, geez! I tell you, it was a turgid read. <laughs> but you know, like it's it was interesting because I was mad in you know I was mad dog on investing. But if someone said to me, "Would you read it again now?" It's like, uh, no, not really. If you're suffering from insomnia, it can <laughs> be pretty useful. Yeah, I, <laughs> I think that actually it's an important point. Actually, Steve, um, I think as we well as we certainly concluded in our own book there's sometimes yeah there's a bit of a law of diminishing returns there yeah. for, for for the average investor uh, who's not Warren Buffett you know you, you can spend many moons these days analyzing financial data and looking through the notes of annual reports but you'll probably find that 99% of the returns you, you know are accounted for by simply market timing, yes. being in the right sector, the price you pay, the buying the right country, rather than, you know, pouring over thousands of pages of, of financial data. So, yeah. uh, and th- th- look, there is a bit of that in the intelligence investor. And if you're not from a financial background, you, some of it could be a hard read if you're reading about, you know, railroads of decades uh, prior, which may not seem relevant, but it's it's more just the teachings and the learnings, if that's a word these days. Uh, that you can apply to your investing today. I, I think there's, there's there's probably two or three themes I might just throw into the mix, Steve, before mm. we wrap up. Um, what, one of the things um, that's kind of touched on is, well, should you should you just buy what you know in terms of companies? And it, I think, you know, Graham's view on that would be, well, yes, but there's more to it than just that because, you know, as, we've, um, well, as we saw in the tech bubble when uh, Barbara Streisand said, well, I shop at Starbucks, so I buy Starbucks, you know, in 1999. 
you know, there's a lot more to it than just buying the companies you're familiar with. Yeah. And in fact, a familiarity can actually uh, breed a sort of a, an illusion of certainty or understanding as the employees of, say, WorldCom or Enron would have found out because so much of their stock in their 401ks was actually in their, their own company because they felt they understood it. So what Ben Graham is saying, well, look, you need to understand the fundamentals of the business and um, you're not just buying a share price today. You're, but imagine you're buying the whole business. So I suppose that's one theme. I think in terms of uh, investment funds, there's definitely this concept of the first shall be last and the last shall be first. You know, I, th- I think you know the, that just goes back to the point on optimism becoming pessimism and vice yeah. versa. Main reversion. And, uh, yeah, I, I think one of the things I found particularly interesting as well is that, yes, um, there's a lot of detail on analysis of companies, but there is also just an element here of personal finance. And you know, as you said, you've got to take into account your personal circumstances. You could lose your job. So, you know, having 100% of your money just whacked into stocks. I mean, yes, the history of the stock market shows that that will beat inflation and it will beat bonds most of the time, but not all the time. But also, you know, factor in your own personal circumstances could change. And I think, um, you know, there is a an element in the, uh, probably more so in the commentary than the book itself, is that actually, you know what, for most of us, actually retiring comfortably is more important than whether you beat the S&P 500 in any specific year and you know this is one of those things that we get all the time from people you know uh, we get emails from people saying oh yeah but uh, you know between march 2020 and uh, july 21 you could have done x or y so well yeah that's that that is true and it's also fine but you've got to look at it in the broader context of what what are we actually investing for here and uh, you know and that's really where this book can uh, to add some value and so well, in the end what are we doing we actually we want to retire comfortably and do so with a, a a familiar or comfortable level of risk yeah i think um the the i'll tell you what's an interesting part for me and it, 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 there's another book on ben graham called the rediscovered ben graham um i i would recommend it to people to read it's a great read but what we're talking pete about you know warren buffett morphing from cigar butts to a sort of you know charlie munger value guy um, ben Graham went from being a price-to-book buyer, you know, cigar butts, but, and as you said, he talked about fundamental value and stuff, and, you know, in the end, he did an interview, and it's in the book, The Rediscovered Benjamin Graham. He said, I've worked out a way to make 15% per year, basically every year, which means you double your money, you know, every five years if you compound. Um, and it was basically statistical arbitrage. And so what he basically said was, like the cigar butts, just buy 30 of them, five will go boke, uh, 10 won't do anything, but half of them will go gangbusters and you'll make, you know, you'll make lots of money. And he he got to the point, which is interesting, because he said, basically, the guy I think said to him, you know, what do you think about fundamental analysis or something? And he basically said, Nah, don't even bother with it anymore. Just buy stocks with PEs lower than <laughs> buy anything on a PE of seven, and you should buy. You should probably put some money into any stock on a PE lower than ten. Um, and it's in, it's just interesting because Buffett a while ago sort of said, "Oh, you know, if I hadn't met Charlie and I'd have stayed with Ben Graham, I'd have been a lot poorer." Which I I must admit I was a bit like, "Oh, well, that's not a very nice thing to say," but you know he might have just been flattering Charlie, but. Yeah, it's just, it's interesting how, like you say, 
the landscape changes, but your own personal philosophy grows as well. And we talked about this all through our podcasts and stuff where, you know, I would you were sort of saying you were doing this and then you morphed to that. The same thing that I did, you know, like you spend the first five years going, well, am I a value guy? Am I a growth guy? Like, oh, no, maybe I'm a candlestick guy. What we tried to do in this book series is say to people, here's a whole raft of books, go and read them all, and you'll probably come back and might go, no, nah, I think that's all garbage. I'm going to be a, you know, a technical analyst guy or a trend follower or something. So there's just sort of plenty in all of those books we've mentioned just to sort of, you know, get you thinking. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, that's that's the, one of the key takeaways, isn't it, from this book is actually learning to think for yourself. Uh, yeah. There's always books that come out, you know, we've discovered a new thing that works, the calendar effect or yeah. you know, the foolish four, you know, but you can just be you can just be fooled by large samples of data and patterns. Yeah. And what Graham would say is, well, look, learn to think for yourself. And then we'll go through periods of high inflation, low inflation, and he, he talks about the money illusion. I think uh, just two final points, I think, takeaways which mirror what we talk about in our book. One is that cash is not trash because cash does a number of things for you. It gives you a buffer, but it mm. also gives you some optionality. Bonds aren't popular at the moment, but they have a part to play in a portfolio. And I think as well, um, just one other thing that has changed, I think, over time, and that is the the importance of diversifying, particularly looking at foreign stocks because um you know take the example of japan everyone always uses japan uh, but look at what happened to the stock market there and how long it took to recover and uh, people might say well you know the lesson is don't invest in a country like japan which i guess yes is true don't pay too much but more to the point people in japan should have been diversified overseas and that, that is definitely something which has really changed over the last 20 or 30 years now we can easily diversify overseas, so we probably should. So I think that is um, that is a half decent summary. I think what what Graham is best known for, of course, is his, you know Mister Market analogy, Jekyll yeah. and Hyde, and and looking for the times when other people are depressed, and that's when you'll get the best bargains. But as Graham shows you, I mean, you can beat the professionals, you can beat the money managers because they have a mandate, and you just are you know, free to manage your money. Um, as you see fit. So I think, um, well, then we've uh, sadly come to the end of our top 10 investment books, Steve, but uh, fear not because we have another exciting mini series coming up for you soon. We just have to finalize what it actually is. So we won't. Uh, <laughs> You'll be the first to know. <laughs> yeah, as soon as we do. So uh, there's a little spoiler for our next mini series. But uh, thanks uh, for joining today and for, for joining for this whole mini series it's been fun to go through those 10 books um we might just put some links back in the show notes as well just so you've got a, a list of those top 10 you know as steve said uh, you read widely and read those high quality investment books you'll definitely come away with useful information and that will help to formulate your overall strategy so thanks for joining steve and we'll see you next week cheers okay cheers mate Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and you want to know more, you can download a free chapter and extra bonuses from our new book, Low Rates, High Returns. Just visit www.lowrateshighreturns.com forward slash book to download your free copy. The things we've discussed in this episode shouldn't be taken as financial advice and we recommend you reach out to a licensed professional advisor who can help you with your unique circumstances. Stephen and I are both on LinkedIn and Twitter. 
so do reach out and connect with us. And finally, it'd be great if you could subscribe and leave us a review. It really helps others to find the show. Now take care and invest wisely. Cheers. Cheers.